Okay. Um, so t- today, I, it's funny, eh? Like, what I think we're going to do, I think, is um, I'm going to share a little bit, but I sense that you guys that have asked me some questions. And so there is there'll be a couple of mics floating around, um, and I think that's how he sort of wants us to, to learn tonight. Um, I've written some things down, little frameworks, but I sense some of the answers are going to come through your questions to me. Is that cool? Um, so I encourage you to engage in to that. Um, the words of God are supernatural. Take two. I don't know, it's not as loud. Oh, there you go. So the words of God are supernatural, aren't they? There's nothing natural about the gospel. There's nothing natural about Jesus Christ. He wasn't born of the natural seed. He was born of the supernatural seed. So the entire message, the person, the context for this whole reality is supernatural. Everything is anchored in the supernatural, not the natural. And I say that because that must be the context to which we come to God to draw from the wellspring of life. If we try to, through the natural, enter into the supernatural, we will always be left unsatisfied, disillusioned, frustrated, and outside of the reality that we have been predestined to be in. But the challenge is so often is we address God from a natural lens. I've seen it here. I've even spoken a reality of don't do this, and then in the next breath someone did it. And that's not wrong. It just is what's happening. It's the reality that happens because we're still trying to understand from a natural perspective. And like we've heard, you don't hear to understand. That is natural. So we have to somehow because we're in the spirit, detach the brain and hear from your heart and let the spirit renew the brain. If we don't do that, you're never going to come into life. I'm not saying you're not redeemed. I'm not saying you're not saved, but you'll never come into the fullness of life because you're still trying to enter into life through the ways of man. It's no different to you studying everything that you've studied. So everything you've studied to get where you are today, that's not how you come to know God. You have to leave that at the door to the kingdom and allow the power of God to propel you into the kingdom. Then you have a reference for something you never had a reference for. And see, man hates this because that's out of our control. And what it does, it brings the level down to the simplest person intellectually can be the greatest person in the spirit. That's why he went to the people he went to first because he knew they'd do something with it because the intellects were like trying to figure out in their head going nowhere. And this is what I love about this thing. It equalizes everything. See, it's not based on your human intelligence. That is a gift that you've been given by God for the purposes of God ultimately, but if you actually don't let God redeem that, renew that, you will try and come to know God through that operating system and you'll get nowhere. Hence, the church isn't able to live out the what it's called to live out. See, 
We should be by now, as the people of God, 2,000 years into the future, be known for love. Shouldn't we? That's a pretty long time to get this sorted. A simple command. So why isn't it still being seen outworked? you know why? Because we're trying to come into life through the operating system of man. And the challenge is you have to be apprehended by this. Otherwise, and I'm not saying this right now, you'll give me your yes, and right now you'll go do the opposite of what I'm telling you to do. You see, you have to realize this in you. You have to realize that you're the woman at the well asking him for water when he's not talking about water. No, no, he was talking about water, wasn't he? Because he said, I've got water you know nothing about. But she doesn't understand. She thinks he's talking about natural water. He's not talking about that at all. But you go, oh, yeah, he's talking about water. So she engages into a conversation with him from her perspective, which is not his perspective at all because he's from another realm living on her planet. And the cool thing is, see, he says to her, you must worship me in spirit and truth. But spirits of the another realm. It's another reality. It's a supernatural realm. So how can you worship in spirit if you don't know the spirit? And if you're not of the spirit, if you're still of the natural, only covered by the spirit, you can't abide in the spirit. So you'll wonder why life's not happening or it's all externally you because it's got to come into you. And so I want to just share some things in Acts 22, 3 and 5 and Galatians 1, 11 is, is really powerful. And if we can just put them up because there's some really key things here. And this is, I had to stop and add another chapter to my book, the new book. And this has actually become chapter one. And I want to show some things here because there are these, there's one man living in two identities. His name is Saul and Paul, but he's one man. Okay, He's the same guy. So Saul says this, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, Jerusalem, educated under Gamaliel. That's really important. Educated under a man. Strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God just as you are all are today. He's giving his defense as Paul. And he's taking them back to who he was as Saul. And he's saying, I'm, I was educated under the system of man. Man taught me the Torah. Man taught me the law. I was not under God. I am under man. You see, if you place yourself under the systems of the world, man, you're going to get the fruit of that system. Saul was under Gamaliel, man teaching man, and the fruit of his life was what? The opposite of what he really should have been doing. Okay? But here's the cool thing. Before the foundations of the earth, he was chosen to be Paul. But he started his life as Paul, but physically as Saul. 
And God was getting him back to being who he actually was before he was born, that God had seen him. But when you place yourself under the system of man, the educational learning systems of man, you will live out the wrong thing. Okay, Galatians. For I would have you know. This man has a reference for something, man. I would have you know, brothers, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me, is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it by man, but I received it through what? A revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm now being educated under another system. You see, the gospel, the Torah, are they not one and the same thing really? The word of God. So the word of God that I received, that I got from man, because I sat under man, I got the teachings of man, created me to go that way. But as I'm going that way, this guy called Jesus Christ comes along and taps me on the shoulder and blinds me. And then he actually opens my eyes up to see him and a completely new operating system, a learning system that is only revealed through him. So what school do you go to? Where are you getting your learning from? The school of man or the school of the spirit? Who is your teacher? Man or God? Man or Messiah? You hear what I'm saying? He sat. Under man, he was taught by man, and the life he lived was a life that was not in alignment to the Father. He then, on his travels to go and persecute the church, gets struck, doesn't he? He then gets a revelation of a person called Jesus Christ, and now he has the ability to come into the fullness of life because his learning system has changed through revelation. You see, it's the revelation of Christ that brings the gospel alive. It's not looking at the words and trying to find life in the words and you get Jesus. You get Jesus, you get the work of the gospel, you now understand the words of the gospel. You have the power of the gospel because you have the one of the gospel. His name is Jesus. It's not the guy teaching you about Jesus. It's so subtle, but in its operating, it is miles apart, isn't it, Rodney? It's so subtle. Greg, are you saying we don't need teachers? No. But don't put yourself under a man who's a teacher. Place yourself under God who is the teacher, then you'll be able to come under man who's the teacher, and the man under the teacher and God will flow as one. So he uses man to teach, but don't place yourself under me. Place yourself under the Messiah and hope like mad that I am preaching you and I am also under the Messiah preaching the word of the Messiah, not the words of man. Anyone can preach the words of man. Anyone can get up here, open the book and say, John 14, 12 says this, 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 and this. Not everyone can preach the word of Messiah because you've got to be in the Messiah to preach the living word of the Messiah and it's got to have been revealed in you. Not just your mental pursuit of understanding words because you're under the system of man. Anyone can do that. That's the problem with the church today. Anyone can do it, so we do it. And we have to be apprehended and arrested from that to go, hey, 
You can't know anything without me. You cannot teach yourself, even though you are highly intelligent, anything that's eternal. Otherwise, you wouldn't need my Holy Spirit. What's the point? (laughs) Jesus said, come to me and learn. Didn't he not? Ephesians talks about if you learnt Christ in this way, according to your former manner of life, not M-A-N-N-A, M-A-N-N-E-R. Let me read this to you because I don't think you haven't got it, eh? Can you get uh, keep uh, Galatians 1, keep going at Galatians 13. See, what you see in both these is Paul gives testimony to, or Saul gives testimony to the operating system he was, and then he says, look, this is what happened when I was under this learning system of man. I was killing, persecuting God's people. So then you, in Galatians 11, 1 to 12 there, he shows you, he says, look, this is how this new word came. It came not from studying under Gamaliel. It didn't come under the system I was once under. It came from a brand new learning system from heaven. And I was persecuting. I was pushing against the goad. I was actually going the opposite way. And he's screaming to his fellow brethren, the Jews, so they would understand, guys, we got it wrong. Have you got it, Kathy? Okay. Let me just read it to you. While I'm doing that, can I just say this to you guys? And everyone that's listening. This morning I said love doesn't boast. And this isn't a boast. And love doesn't... What was the other one? Cool, you're listening. God asked me to write this for this church. Okay, There's a reason why I put this down. Because God said, God, Greg, write this so my people can eat this. I really want to encourage you, if you haven't got one, grab one and eat it. If you have got one, are you eating and drinking with it? Not once, 10, 20 times. There is gold concealed in here, like what I'm preaching tonight, but it's concealed for you. You won't just read it and go, oh, I get that. You have to ask the Spirit to unveil what is in here. That's why the questions, if you read it, you're like the first question on the first page gets you go, oh. And it asks you a big question. What is the purpose of your faith? Can I encourage you to eat this thing? I, outside of his word for us as a body, this would be the second most important thing you'd want to be eating right now. I'm not saying don't go and eat other stuff, but I would make this the second thing outside of his word if you're part of this house because he got this for you to eat. Greg, write it because this explains 10 years of my walk. So, I'm up here tonight going to tell you about how I come into life. Well, get hold of that because that's in there. Okay, is that cool? All right, cool. So, for I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. Uh, For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and try to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, (laughs) I'm going a hundred miles this way thinking I'm in the real thing. I'm out to kill them. 
Saul is so far extreme and he's off. Then he runs into a brick wall called Christ. Have you run into that brick wall yet? Good. It's a great brick wall to hit, isn't it? And to fall upon the rock and be broken into pieces because that nature that's operating there is in you and I. And it hits something and falls and smashes. The greatest day is when you smash, meaning your spirit of pride smashes and you're awakened to an operating system that you've been in, but you didn't realize you were in it. And the only reason you know you're in it is because you can now see it. You're like, boom, what was that? Hey, it's Jesus. I know you, really. (laughs) See, this is what's happening to this man. He has so gone that way. How does he go from there to being Paul, this completely opposite inner realm guy? Oh, yeah, he just made a decision to be Paul. No, he's completely and utterly smashed and apprehended by Jesus. And Jesus, isn't this cool? You can stuff up as bad as him, and there's still a future in Christ for you. Why? Because before we ever were, he saw Paul's life. See, he started as Paul, and God will get him to Paul at the end. In the middle, he was Saul. But you see, the Bible says this. you got to look at the end, because God declares the end from the beginning. So Paul is Paul at the end, isn't he? And he's Paul at the beginning, isn't he? But in the middle, he's Saul. But who's he going to become when you're in God? Paul. But the man is running a trillion miles the opposite way because he's in an operating system called man, studying under man, Gamaliel, thinking he's in God. So God has to step into his world. Boom. And then he's the complete opposite of Saul. That's why I'm writing the book, Imitate Me. Because then he says, you guys got to imitate me. Because you're all like me. You're all Saul's, but you don't maybe know it. Saved, called, predestined, but are you in that destined posture? So I've got to come into your world and mess it up. I've got to turn the table of your heart upside down, spin you around, think, what is going on here, man? I've called you for greatness. I've already predestined a plan, marked it out. And he said this, you're going to suffer. This man is going to suffer for me. He's going to know my plan. He's going to go to the kings of Israel. He's going to go to the Gentiles and the world. And he will know the sufferings of Christ. And he was the opposite of Saul. But he was the same guy. Why? Because he got a new learning educational system called Jesus Christ Messiah. And yet he started life under Gamaliel. We all start under Gamaliel. Unless the day you got born again, you had an experience where you got born again and he opened up your eyes and you could see things you never saw. You've never read the book, but you're in something now going, oh my goodness, what is this? And this is the challenge because it's not about the measure of revelation you got when you got saved, but it is about receiving revelation. We all, if we're born again, should have a brand new appetite for the Spirit. So the day you committed your life, if nothing happened within you, you might want to ask yourself, are you actually born of the Spirit? Just because you pray a prayer doesn't mean you're born again. You have to experience the born again reality. Is that cool? Babies get born. They don't stay going, oh, I got born if they don't come out. And they have to come out, don't they? 
And so ask yourself, in love, you're covered by love. This isn't about condemnation because there's no condemnation in Christ. It's about bringing you into life, and he wants you in life. But we have to go there. We have to ask the questions that our flesh doesn't want us to ask because we're in fear of what if not. But if you never ask those questions of you're not, you never come into. So you live a whole life in fear going, what if? And he goes, but what if? Just what if? You hear what I'm saying? I'm passionate about this, eh? I'm laying my life down for it because I know it. I carry a conviction. I know this is the truth. And I know what the truth does. It sets you free. Mm. So, form a manner of life, see? He's got a reference for the new. He's got a reference for the former. So he knows. And then he says, church, imitate me. Not you're all apostles. Imitate my life. Look at how I went from Saul to Paul. Saul is a picture of the flesh. Paul is a picture of the spirit. Individually and a church. Individually and a church. That's why you can have flesh and spirit in the same house. Now, we all have a measure of flesh and spirit in us, but you can have more people living from the flesh than the spirit. And uh, Acts 3 talks about that. So my framework, and this is really hard. It's hard to talk about the innate reality of God because everyone wants to run away and do what you do in a physical. So don't hear what I do physically Hear what I'm trying to explain, which is so hard to explain my reality of God and my spiritual dimension that God brought me into in 1997, and he's continued to expand that because he gave me a reference for something that I didn't have a reference for before. See, you all have, we all have to get this reference for him. Not just, oh, yeah, I was brought up with this thing. No, you need a tangible, experimental reference for the God. God is so personable. He wants you to experience him. He wants us to experience love so you know he's real. Not just read a book about the guy. He wants you to know him. So I had this full-on, as you know, this encounter in 1997, and it brought me into the kingdom. I didn't know what had happened, but it happened. So now I've got a reference for hearing his voice. I've got a reference for the living mana to the measure that he put in me. And so everything I say from a, a practical reality, and that's why I thought it'd be good if you guys ask me questions, is just coming from that born-again experience, and he's grown that. So this holistic approach that I have, that's not do this, do that, do this, do this, although I do certain things. God speaks to me when I'm asleep. That's what the Bible says, Psalm 127 to 2. It says, if God's not building the house, you're building in vain. You can all run around. He said, I'll speak to those who are in him in their sleep. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So I'll be sleeping and he's speaking. Why? Because my spirit never sleeps. It's always active, alive. Do you believe your spirit never sleeps? So it means God can speak to it because it's alive. It's always living. It's always ready to hear. Do you believe God wants to speak to you all the time, every time, at any place? Good. 
Because we have to have these certain belief systems, these, these foundational things. Not, oh, he only speaks to me here, or he only speaks to me there. No, he speaks all the time. I believe he's wanting to speak every minute of every day. Because he says there are these things freely given to us to know. But it takes time. And time is the most precious commodity you have. And it's the thing everyone's after. Rodney's going, you will not need a job like Rodney. <laughs> but what are you doing with your time, Rodney? <gasps> but serious, everything's after your time. Self is after your time. So you can choose you with time. You say, I never have the time because I'm always busy. It's rubbish. It's a lie. You just don't want to put certain things aside. But that's what we have to do if we're in discipline rather than desire or delight. You actually got to make some choices and go, you know what? This is so important. I'm going to help me, Lord, to take this out of my life and make this much time for you. I guard my time. One of the things I do is you won't get to see me at certain hours of the day. If you ask to see me, I go, nah, sorry. Unless the Holy Spirit says to meet. (laughs) Okay? But I will guard it. Why? Because my relationship with him is more important than my relationship with you. I need a healthy relationship with him to have a healthy relationship with you. So I put boundaries and I guard the time. I cultivate my own garden, my heart and my mind. And I'm pretty strict with them. So you'll find me at Ruby's Cafe between 9 and 12 on a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, mainly. And I'm there with him. Danielle can't figure how I can do this with all the noise and the music and stuff. And I don't know, she can't and that's cool, but I can and that's cool. And I just somehow zone out and I can hear his voice and I'm meditating in the scriptures. And it goes something like this. So I'll just, part of my, my process in here is this is what I do. I'm reading from Matthew to Genesis, sorry, Matthew to Revelation, Genesis to Malachi. I don't specifically ask God to give me specific books. I just constantly read from Matthew to to Revelation. When I finish that, I go back to Matthew and I go to Revelation. It's like this. That's all it is. Then I'm also going from Genesis to Malachi. What happens is I get up most mornings, most mornings, not actually not Monday, and not Saturday. So I don't get up Monday and Saturday. Tuesday. Sometimes when he speaks to me in bed, I'm asleep. It's awesome. Wednesday, I'm here. So let's say this. Three days of the week. I said all days of the week. And on Sunday, four days. I'm up roughly around 6, 6.30. And I have my own little room that I go in because Danny nicked the glory spot upstairs on the couch. So I'm in this little room on my chair and I just put my headphones on, play some music, and I just sing under my breath. <laughs> you have these weird sounds. You know that? It sounds horrible. Like you think you're making this gorgeous sound. And like, what on earth? It sounds like some cat's drowning or something. You were lost in it. Yeah, that was amazing, man. Everyone's like, what was that? Were you dying in there or something? <laughs> that was praise, man. Come on. And I'm in there and I'm listening and I'm just praying and I just say, speak, Father. And I'm, I can do this dual thing. And at times I just don't have music, but 
times I'm praying and listening, and somehow it gives me the ability to do two things. And then I'll have that time, and is there anything you want to say? And then I'll open this, and I start in the Old, what we call the Old Testament. So at the moment, I'm going through Deuteronomy again. I've just finished it, but he said, go back and start again. And what I do is I just read, and I marinate. And what happens is if I come to something, and I go, I know. And see, this is the thing. I, just, I know it here in my gut. I know it in my spirit. There'll be something I'll get to, he says, stop. And I feel it. I feel it literally into me. It's like, food. So I might marinate on that, meditate on the bit, but generally I then got to go and at my, in, you know, nine o'clock to whatever, then I'll write about that. So I'll go back to it and I'll say, right, I know you've stopped me on this nugget. What is it about this nugget that you want me to write? And I've got a journal. I just write, man, I've got like journals galore, stuff he's talked to me about that I haven't even preached. And I just start writing. And this is where this mana, this spiritual water starts to build up. And it's in me. I feel it in me. It's revelation. The Holy Spirit's speaking, teaching me. And I believe that God teaches from within. So the Spirit of God is within me to teach me from within me, not external in. It's there teaching in. So he's renewing me from the inside out because he's in me. I'm not saying he doesn't also, the Spirit doesn't teach you externally. But for me mainly, it's the Spirit of God in me. He speaks from within. Cool way. And so then I write stuff that he's showing me. I write all the time. I would encourage you to write, ask questions. I ask questions of the scriptures. Why, what, how, when? Did you notice Dave asks a lot of questions? Yeah. For the purpose of getting the knowledge of God in himself and in us. So that's part of sort of the process. That's one thing that I do, but you know. It's 24-7. I'll be driving down the road, and he'll ask me a question around something. So I hear the question, and I'm like, and Rodney, Rodney helped me the other day because he said, you know you can speak to Siri, and she can record a note for you. Can she? That's awesome because I'm like not texting while I'm driving. And I'm like, I've got to pull over because I've got to write this down, this question down, because it's something he obviously wants to go to look at. And then he'll – so while I'm driving, I get the question, so – what I've been doing is I just speak it out loud because I want to remember the question. Even coming here, the supernatural, the gospel is a supernatural, the gospel is supernatural, the gospel is I said, Madeline, write this on the phone. This is how I'm going to start tonight. So I capture these things, and then he starts to speak about the question he's asked me. But it's so natural to me now. It's so normal. It's like a person speaking. So I can't sort of give you this formulaic thing, oh, did you do this? Did you do that? Did you? No, I just got born again. And I can't even do that. But this power came in and, and my heart was in a place it was. And he, he, I got born again and I've learned how to grow in the spirit from that place and hear and receive the spiritual manna through revelation because I knew I couldn't get into that. See, the greatest revelation I got is I couldn't get into that realm without him. I didn't arrive here on my own. I wasn't brought up in a Christian home. See, that can be the greatest thing and the worst thing that happened to you because you think you've arrived somewhere where you haven't because you're just under the covering of your mum and dad, but it's not in you. So like Saul, there's no revelation of Christ in you that changes you. So you're under the relationship of your parents, not your own relationship under Christ. That doesn't cut it. It's not going to get you that far. 
And so for me, it's just this ability now to abide in the reality and the dimension of the Spirit because He's in me. I also glean from others. I never listen to the radio anymore. There's nothing good on it. So I fill my mind with the Word. But not everybody, I listen to men and women that I know are in Him. Not just reciting good ideas and words, but men and women who are in him, and I now can hear those who are in him and speaking revelation rather than just words. How, Greg? Because of where he's brought me in him, in the abiding in him. So the more you're abiding in him, you hear and can discern words that are just words and words that are the word. See, that's the hoodwink. Because, and I think I've said this before, one person can talk about discipleship and never talk about discipleship. One person can get up and talk about abiding and they never talk about abiding. They just talk around it. Can you hear what I'm saying? One person can get up here and talk about rest, but never talk about rest. And what means is we all go away starved because the word has not been spoken even though someone read words. So the substance of the power that's needed to shift us was not released into the atmosphere, into the soil, because it was just words, not the word. So you can't even understand this in your head, what I just said. You have to receive it in your spirit and then allow the spirit to renew your mind. Now you can get it like that in a heartbeat. So this is what can happen. I can be speaking and you can receive it in your spirit and then your mind gets renewed, and you understand the word of the Lord, which is not Hebrew, Greek, English, South Africans, Māori. It is spirit. And you've received a supernatural substance because of the gospel of supernatural, isn't it? And you've received it in your spirit now, and now you can see it, which means you can live it out. You can walk in the manner in which Christ walked because you've kept the word of the Lord. Isn't that what I read this morning, 1 John 2, 5? Those that keep the word of the Lord, what can they do? What's being perfected in them? Love. So if you're keeping the word through the supernatural reality of God called the spirit, and the word is being formed in you and me, then we're able to walk in love and love like Jesus. Right? So to not be able to walk like Jesus is to not keep the word, and that's not to be perfected in love. So you can't do something you've been commanded to do. Do you understand the seriousness of what I just said? Okay. If you really do, you should be like, yeah, man, that's full on. Because you're commanded to do something supernatural. And it's fully possible when you're in him, abiding in him, receiving from the wellspring of life through the power of revelation. But if we're not in that, you won't be able to live out the life you're called to live out here on earth. But we're called to. So why? We have to look, what operating system are we under? Man or Messiah? And just because we come along doesn't mean we're under the operating system of heaven. And so I've learned from Jesus how to acquire the food source from Jesus, which is Jesus. And yet it's got really nothing to do with anything physical and everything to do with a heart posture that cried out and cries out for him for more. 
So you can do all the things like go into your dark closet, turn off the light and sit there and pray. You can turn up to discipleship groups. You can turn up to kingdom prayer meetings. You can go for walks on hills. You can do all these things in the physical external and never come into this reality in you because there's got to be a cry from here and it's got to come from here that heaven sees and then the spirit comes in and you start living a spiritual life. You walk in the spirit. You hear in the spirit. You feed from the spirit and you're, the spirit is eternal, isn't it? So it's an eternal, invisible life. So like I've been talking about, if you never saw one of these and someone came along and started talking, what things haven't you yet seen that have been communicated here for 10 years? Because they're in the invisible realm, not the visible. And so it's about this posturing, this positioning, this seeking, this asking and then believing that he will perform on his word. I don't mean verbal agreement. I mean a full conviction that you will do what you say you will do. So I think I'm going to be quiet, and I want you to ask me questions. Anything you've heard, or anything about my own process that I've missed, because I've probably missed heaps, you know something when it's become so innate and authentic you don't really think about it? Because it just is. And so it can actually be quite hard to teach it because you just do it naturally. I reckon that's why you said walk with people and they'll see it. It's so easy to teach stuff, but we've got to live stuff. So come on, questions. Rochelle and Kirk have the mics because we're going to record this. I'm just curious of an uh, example of um, something like recently where God's spoken into a situation that you're in where maybe there's an operating system that you're like, I don't know, you respond in a way that isn't good or something and then God speaks into it and then you're like, ah, oh, that's the way to respond or something. Just your, I guess, what? how does that work for you? Like I know it works differently for everyone. Yeah. Um. I think, well, recently, like I can't think of anything in the last week, but I can certainly, and I talked about this when I was in Cambodia. So the two examples that come to mind is when I was in Cambodia with Danny, and, um, you know, we were having a debate. <laughs> um, and <laughs> basically, you know... Um, there was certain behaviour that I was ignoring and it was throughout the day and then we got to a place at the end of the day where the behaviour was continuing in Danielle and I was so sick and tired of it that I just said, I'm out of here and I just left the restaurant and I jumped in a tuk-tuk and went back to the hotel. On the way to the hotel, back to the hotel, he said, what are you doing? So this is not a voice audibly, this is a voice... From here that he's speaking to me. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm sick and tired of this behavior. I'm sick. This is not. He says, hold on a minute. He said, why couldn't you stay? And he talked to me about not having enough love in me to love her in that moment. Even though I'd been loving her throughout the day, it was almost like my love tank of him, which stays constant, but it's like this behavior is now too much and I've got to remove myself from it. And at times he might say to do that, but he didn't tell me to do that. 
that was me, my flesh, manifesting. And when I was trying to blame her, and her behavior wasn't right, but he actually started, it's not about her, but I'm dealing with her, I want to deal with you. And so he actually then started to show me this about more of you, more of me and you, Greg. You just seek me more. So if that happens again, because I wouldn't have walked away. The other one was this whole massive um, change. Now this is going back 10 years, but when he said to me through the, through the scriptures, and I looked at Peter's life, and so in Mark you see, who do the people say I am? You're the Messiah. How did you get that? My father revealed that. In the next breath it says, Jesus began to teach them he must go to Jerusalem to die. Okay, <laughs> And he said to me, and I read that and I was like, what a clown. He said, who was that? I was like, oh, that was me. Yeah. What didn't Peter know? He didn't know the ways of God. He knew God because God had given him a revelation. But where did that come from, the Messiah? He said, son, what don't you know? Because this is hindsight. So I didn't know how you do everything. I thought I knew how you built the church, but I didn't. So in that repentance, he taught me and showed me, even through that scripture, I was, in fact, Peter in that moment with my mind that needed to get behind and have my mind renewed because the way I thought he did it was actually of the demonic. It was wisdom of darkness. But then he le didn't leave you there. He teaches you and renews your mind through revelation of how I do it. And that's how I got the fivefold, the bride of Christ started coming out, all that stuff. So it's like it's literally being schooled by the Holy Spirit. Bible says in 1 John 2, I think it's 28, that we shouldn't need teachers because the anointing of the Spirit is to be our teacher. It does not mean we don't need men and women with apostles, prophets. Of course we don't. But our first place call is the Spirit wants to be the teacher and teach us directly from heaven because he's been given the mandate to do that. So those are, it must be getting better. I don't know. But he's... Uh, you know, I don't say this to brag, but it's like, man, it's just an overflow. You can live an overflow. There's no reason to be dry. We've created that because we don't know him. You know, he, he, it's opposite to the scriptures. You come to me, you'll never be thirsty, never be hungry. That's an absolute promise. And we go, we actually, it's false humility. Oh, I'm so thirsty. I'm no, get in Christ. You will never be hungry, never be thirsty. So there's maybe an operating system that needs to be smashed. Okay, You may be trying to receive under man. And when I say man, I mean you, the flesh, who we are without Christ. Okay, He saves us in that state, but he wants to change us. So we can just live in this abundance because we're to be these are people of abundance, not lack. That's the promises. Now that takes time, but that's the promise. It's an absolute promise. Bless you. Other questions? What's time? Okay. The guarding of your time. Thank you. Leave the boy alone. The guarding of your time that you talked about, um, was that a hard habitual change in order to make it really important to you? And how did you go about that? No, it wasn't a hard change. Um, it was just a matter of putting it in. So, the, yeah, the beauty for me, it wasn't like I had to discipline that. I just had to actually do it. So I had 
the love, the desire, the delight to be spend time with them, that delight and that desire also had me running around trying to motivate and mobilize people. So it was like, and I had a power to do it. So it wasn't like I was operating out of my own strength. It was the power of God operating in me. But he says, that's not going to do anything. You, you can try and motivate and mobilize, but you can't give revelation. So I want you to take that time of trying to change people. It's funny, you know you can't change people, but you still try. <laughs> if I just do this, if we just do that, if I say it this way, they'll get excited for a minute, and they do for five minutes, and as soon as you go away, then they're back to square one again. <laughs> so all I did was took that physical time and gave it to him. So where I was giving it to people and not investing in my relationship, I just gave it to him. And then I fine-tuned that over the years and cultivated so it's it's open but it's pretty guarded but it you know at the same time you said to me I need to see you because of ABC and that sort of stuff and I was like okay I'll make an exception for you mate. but but overall you know it's like I just I put it into my calendar and I guard it and then it's just about the the commitment to be found there so be found in Christ Paul was found in Christ Mary was found in Christ, she was found in him. The woman who came was found at his feet. So it's, it's that reality of going, you know, if someone was to take a video of your life, where are you found? The evidence will show you. And so, you know, it's just a choice to go, right, I'm going to be found here. And it's tough when you've got people screaming. You know, if you're married, kids, they come with stuff, houses, jobs, there's so much fight for our time. But you don't you can afford not to if you want this full life that's in him. And it's like everything. If you sow to the flesh, you reap to the flesh. Sow to the spirit, you reap to the spirit. You get out what you put in. So you can't really complain even though we do. Because you're getting what you're asking for. Ask for much, you get much. Why would a father give his son a scorpion when he asks for a fish? If you knew who was in front of you, you would ask, and I would give you the gift and the one of the gift. But you're not asking because she was so consumed in her own life trying to find another husband. Because she was looking for fulfillment in men. But then the seventh man turned up, which is the number of perfection. And she's looking for men to get married to. And then the seventh dude turns up, who is what? The groom. But she's missing it. But he's there. I'll get sidetracked, man. Don't get me down there. Go read that. That's massive, man. Any more questions before we get into the questions? Good. Did we exist with him before the foundations of the earth? <laughs> yes, we did. I wish I had my whiteboard here. Yes, we did. The Bible clearly tells us before the foundations of the earth, he chose us. Before Psalm 139, if you go look at Psalm 139, it says he knew everything about us before we ever were. In Christ, we were created. In him. Before you were even born, you were in his plan. This is so awesome. You'd never doubt him if you get this. If you can get what I'm saying, if you can hear it through the Spirit, it'll radically change your life. 
Okay? So you were not, you never started as a sinner. Can I mess with you a little bit? You started as a saint. Okay? Why? Because you were in Christ. Before you had a chance to sin, you were in Christ. You weren't even born, man. You didn't have a chance to sin. You were a saint. So think about it like this, okay? God knows the end, like I said this before, from the beginning, okay? So when, when, when um, God's in the garden with Adam and Eve, what does he say to him? He says, you are free to eat from what? Any tree before that tree. So it goes like this, promise before problem. Where do we go? We always go to the problem and we miss the promise. So we always go to being Greg the sinner, not Greg the son. So you actually, we all start in God. We get born into this natural earth. We're now separated from God. But actually, we're going to find out who we are again here because we're already predestined to become this person. So Paul was predestined to be Paul at the end, wasn't he? Do you think you are too? Right. So you're predestined at the start as a saint, as a son. You're actually predestined at the end to be a saint, to be a son, because Paul, Saul, Paul. Greg, old Greg, Greg. Son, slave, son. Paul, Saul, Paul. Promise, problem, promise. This will radically change. What's in the middle? Philippians 1.6, what does it say? It's something we quote all the time. Someone find Philippians 1.6 and read it out. Being confident of this very thing that is the start of six. Being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Where did he begin the work? Here. So by the time you get to here, he's going to perfect the work that he started in you to get you to the end. But that's in an agreement with him, isn't it? You have to allow him to do the perfecting work that he started. So right in the middle, this is the whole purpose about um, sanctification. It's the perfecting work. The bride has made herself ready. So he gives you this one in him, gives you this one, and we're going to end up here. You're actually ending up how you started. You just don't know that. So why? what would it be like, guys, if we start life not as sinners as sons? What wouldn't you struggle with if you popped out knowing who you were in Christ? You're not going to struggle with identity issues, jealousy, acceptance, rejection, all the things we struggle with. You won't because the day you're born, you actually, God shows you who you were before you were born and you live that life now out to become that person that you already are. So how you arrive here is actually who you are in the middle because he opens up our mind to understand. Is that clear? It's powerful. I believe that 
So he had the potential to sin, never did. So he knew who he was, okay? And he has the potential like us. He has the same nature as us to sin, but he never sinned. So he is the perfect model of what we're called to be. So he's the demonstration of the perfect model to show us be perfected like your heavenly father is perfect. But he did everything as a man. So it's the son of man. He's the son of God. When you see him in his glorified state, he's the son of God. When he was walking with the disciples, he was the son of man. So look what's possible if a man, woman, is surrendered, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. This morning, full of the Holy Spirit. Under the anointing and the power of heaven, surrendered, whole heart, not incorporated, surrendered to his father. The power of God moves through that son and he lives a life that's perfect, mature. That's the invitation for us. See, we've hooked ourselves and said, oh, but that's Jesus. Jesus did things as a man. He became a bond servant. Otherwise, God's dangling a carrot going, here you go, sorry, you can't do it. That's where you go. The scriptures then are lying to us. How can I ever fulfill the commandment of Jesus, which is to love one another as I have loved you, if Jesus did it as God? And you have to hear that in the spirit. I'm not saying he wasn't, he is God. But he relinquished for that moment in time his deity. He didn't consider equality with God something he could grasp, Philippians. And he came under and made himself a bondservant to serve his father and God's people. That it would be an example for us that we would be Christ-like. You're not gods, but we're called to be Christ-like. Like, walk in the manner in which Christ walked. Why? Because Christ lives in me, the hope of glory. So upon the revelation of Jesus Christ in the church, in the church, I build the church and the gates of Hades don't overpower this church. It's the supernatural life that scares the bejeebies out of the church because it challenges your thinking and your operating system to go, Oh my goodness, that's so far maybe outside of my reality, but it's for you. See, if we're operating under man, we're never going to get this. Man can't do this stuff. It sounds impossible. It sounds like a great movie. It's not. It's real. How does Peter walk on water? Think about what happened. How does, man, how does a man get transported from here and end up in Ozotus, I think it is? Philip. How do you pronounce it? Ostos. How does that happen? Angels, angels turn up, don't they? Sometimes I think we just read, oh, the angel turned up and spoke to Mary. As if it's an everyday occurrence. When was the last time angels popped into your room and said, hey, just reminding you who you are. <laughs> so yes, before the foundations of the earth... You were chosen and called to be his. Even though you may have started, meaning in the physical, as a sinner, you were always going to be a son or a daughter. It just takes all the pressure. Please hear me. It doesn't mean you don't seek. It doesn't mean you just go, oh, well, God will do it. I'll just do nothing. I'll go on high. I'm not saying that. But it is truly the lens of love, not the lens of law. This is the lens that Dave was speaking through. 
It's the lens of love. And you realize, man, God has this. It's not if, maybe, but, hope so. Oh, is the darkness going to win or is the light going to win? It's all God. It's already won. It's just discovering what has been won. See, it's the finished work of the cross. That's why people get freaked out when you speak from the finished work, the full work of the cross. Don't let your reality shrink you back from the full work that God wants to bring you into because you know your own reality is not the full work, but he wants it to be the full work. Don't shrink back. We're not a people who shrink back. We press and lean in. If you shrink back, you're going to miss it. You're not, you will be saved. Do you hear what I'm saying? On that day of reward, when they're handing it out, because you haven't lived the life you were called to live that you were predestined to live when you were here because you were under the false operating system. And the church is going to have a lot to answer for when it stands there. But there's hope. Because God loves us in our stuff-ups. He loves us in our failures. They're just opportunities to learn, aren't they? Man, I've stuffed up so much. But I'm still here. (laughs) Figure that out. That's the love of the Father. You don't get struck off. But you need to learn. And he said, stop repeating the behavior patterns, Greg. Learn from me. Enter into my rest and then you'll cease from your work. And we've got to do it together. There's no lone rangers here. Are we done? Had enough? One more? Go, Kathy. Um, hold on, hold on, does, if, uh, so if we were with him before the foundations of the earth, does that mean that we're actually already married to him? Or is it like something different? You've been predestined, but your decisions determine where you will be. Okay? So it's quite clear, I think, from Scripture that there are five wise, five foolish. There are those that get talents that don't do things with it. It's not about heaven or hell. It's about reward. So you have to choose. He's looking for a faithful, obedient people. So it's like in any family. You can have the, the disobedient daughter and the obedient daughter. I don't reward the disobedient daughter. I reward the faithful and obedient daughter. I love them both. But the consequences loving it are different. So the unfaithful, disobedient needs to change. And her behavior needs to align. But the behavior needs to align from love ultimately. But it's somewhere if we don't know love, we have to step in through discipline. Because to continue to be disobedient is wrong. So it's like this opportunity, I've predestined it, called you to be mine, and then your choices through the process of sanctification determine your reward. We're all going to be with him, but you have to choose. Hence, he gives you scriptures like, if you love your own life, your mother, father, brother, sister, wife, child, more than me, you're not worthy of me. So he's, he's, his heart is being poured out there, and it's like a warning for us. 
You see, and this is why I said this morning, but if you've only if you've invited Jesus into your life for what he can do for you, that's called incorporating Jesus in. It'll be very hard for you to live the surrendered life because when he asks for more, you won't be able to because you only invited it in for what he can do for you rather than you're surrendered to him and now you don't worry about you and you can truly deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow him because it says you've got to lose your life for his sake, find life. If you've lost your life for really your sake, thinking it was his sake, he would want to show you that. So it's a whole surrendered life. You may have come in being incorporated to him. He's like the greatest handbag that you've got or the wallet, whatever it is, or the shirt for guys, whatever it is. You've added him onto your life. He's not your life. Do you understand? He'll happily come in at that, but he doesn't want to stay in that position. That's the rich young ruler. Knock, knock. Who's there? Revelation, Matthew, I knock on the door of your heart wanting to come in because you've only incorporated me into your life. I'm not your source of life. Will you let me in and let me come and dine with you? It sounds beautiful, but it's not necessarily easy because what he's going to ask for is your entire heart. He wants to be the head of that table. Um, Kathy, I feel like the question that you asked is such a fantastic question, you know, and I feel like in what we're hearing this evening, it's really important to understand those two elements. One, that is an issue of identity and our, who we've been called and chosen to be in him, and the other one, which is about reward and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, because I think in hearing about if we don't understand our identity in Christ and we hear a message about reward, we'll confuse the two and we'll get and the water will get really muddied. And so we'll feel, and that's when this, what we heard about this one, this, this performance orientated acceptance kicks in. And all of a sudden we'll, we'll try, we're trying to be earning our um, salvation, our position in Him, our acceptance in Him, our righteousness by trying to do something that's actually not about that. It's about faithfulness and there's a cool parable it's a parable of the talents it's potentially one of the most intense and hard-hitting parables and yet it's actually so much of it is about identity and you know in the parable Jesus is talking about um, you know giving out um, what does he call them these well, talents I'm not even sure what they are <laughs> if it's money or something like that but he's, he gives them everyone out a measure of these talents and everyone gets a different measure and then there's this part at the end where he goes and he go, he asks what they've done not with what they didn't have but what they had been given and there's one person who receives something but goes and buries it and there's and his response he says this um it says and the one who also received the one talent came up and said master i knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed and i was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow, or I scattered no seed, you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival you had you would have received the money back with interest. You know, and so uh, to me, he like the the issue here was the slave who received something assumed that God or the 
the, the master was a hard man reaping where he did not sow, so he didn't do anything with what he had been given. And so because he didn't understand his identity in Christ, he was paralyzed from actually doing and being faithful with what he had been given, where that understanding of identity actually motivates and empowers us to be faithful with, with what it was that he had given us. Does that make sense? And so I feel like in here there's, there's this two-part thing going on, understanding our identity and also being faithful and obedient, which will receive a reward. Is that cool? Cool. If you think of the parable of the virgins as the internal realm, reality, the parable of the talents is the external. One defines the other. Okay? So it's a dual position that's actually one position. So parable of the virgins is all about who do you love? Parable of the talents is who you're living for. I know Roy's got a question. Oh, go. Okay, Pam. And then we'll get to you. Okay, so uh, the, with the, um, the daughters, the two daughters, the one that was loved, um, he loved because she loved him with all her heart. Um, and the other one was the disobedient daughter. He, he right. loved them both, but so it was about rewards for the one who loved with all the heart. He was, um, he gave him his, her, him, his, her, him her heart. So, so um, what happens to the disobedient daughter, whom he, he is still a daughter, but um, she's he's not she's loving with all her heart. Yep. So, what happens to the faithful, the, the unfaithful, disobedient church, yeah. as opposed to the faithful, obedient church? You don't get fully what you were born to have. Basically. What's that going to look like? I'm not 100% fully sure. But you know, he says, there are many rooms in my father's house. Just like there are many rooms in my, Danielle and I, our house. And certain rooms are more intimate than others in that house where our children don't go when we're there. Is that a typology of the bride and the church in the father's house that there are certain rooms that the bride will be in with the father for eternity? because of the closeness of the relationship that other people, church members, don't get to experience because they didn't live the life on earth as a bride. Yeah. So it says in Revelation 22, the bondservant. See, God gives us all these words to describe the same thing. Bondservants, sons, bride, nation, uh, the body, I personally believe they are the same people looking at different aspects of the same people. Does that make sense? So the fivefold is Jesus, but you can look and there are different functional aspects. So a bondservant is different to a bride. A bride is different to a son in the way they live out, but they're the same people. Am I? So it's just like looking at the same thing through multiple different lenses. Yeah, but it's the same people group. So at the end of the day, the faithful and obedient bride who hasn't had other lovers, who hasn't committed spiritual adultery with other lovers, hence he tells you not to have idolatry in your heart, will be rewarded for her faithfulness and obedience. And Revelation 22 says that the bondservants will see his face 
will have their na- his name written on their forehead and they will serve the Lord. So it's important that we are living love-filled, obedient, faithful lives to the lives we were called for, not the life that we thought we've been called for. See, the challenge is we're all born, our parents shape our lives. Society shapes your life. You're to be this, you're to be that, to be that. But there's a life that's already been predestined for you to discover in Christ, which is to do the will of God. It's to fall in love with God and do his will for your life, which isn't that life. See, this is the difference between the incorporated Christian and the in Christ Christian. Okay, the corporate is like, well, I've, I've mapped out my life. Okay, I'm going to get married at 25. I'm going to have kids. I'm not going to get married. I'm going to be a business. I'm going to do all these things. And God's like, and then you go this, Lord, can you bless my plans? He goes, hmm, that's interesting. Well, I'm so good I might to try and get your attention because I actually gave you birth for this life here. In this life, you're capable of living this life, and I'm going to empower this life. And it may or may not have anything to do with any of that. It may or may not, but that's not the point. This is a brand new, this is the life that's more than food and the body is more than clothing. Okay? This is the life, why are you working for food that perishes? You should be working for eternal food. And this isn't about being here on earth, this is about serving the earth, meaning serving the people on the earth, not running around trying to build my own life, and then maybe talking to Jesus to a few people. As an extra. No, this is he wants to be the source of your entire being so you can be like Christ and come out of the world, which is this, into Christ so your whole life is dedicated. Your life is hidden in Christ. It's no longer about what you ever wanted. He has put in you a brand new desire and delight that you now live for. You may never get married. You may never have babies. You may never, never, never do any of the things that you thought you were going to do. And you have to be okay with that because you were not given life for that. You were given life before the foundations of the earth because this is my plan and you're my story and you're my characters. Why do you tell me how life is going to be when you don't exist if I don't give you breath? It's the height of pride to turn around and tell God, bless my life. He goes, no, you bless my life. I didn't create you for your life. I created you that you would actually glorify my name. So something's got to happen, doesn't there? You've got to be apprehended from this and propelled into this. But you can't get from here to here just studying words. You won't be able to live this life out unless he grabs you by his power and goes whoosh and literally wrenches you from that life and then smashes you into this life and says, open eyes and see. They are so close, but in operation they are miles apart. And they happen in the same house. That's why you can get people who are like, what is he talking about? And other people are like, bring it on, bring it on, bring it on. Like, you a nut job? One guy looks so dead and the other guy's like, this is amazing. What's wrong with you? What's this? See, It happened in Jesus' day. It happens in this day. It'll continue to happen until he comes because this is a thing of the Spirit and you can't get into the Spirit without the Spirit. Full stop. Drop the mic. <laughs> and that creates humility. And if the body of Christ got this, you would have spirit-led humility overnight like that. 
we would stop trying to build our own empires and we'd be flattened. And maybe we'd actually start coming into the life we've been called for. Because when you measure yourself by this, just one promise out of here, you will never go hungry, never go thirsty if you come to me. So that one promise should put the fear of God in us. And if it doesn't, can I say you need to hear the word? Ah, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. He's telling you, you you can live a life where you're never hungry and never thirsty. What would it look like, guys, to live from rest every day? That is possible. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Learn from me so you can live in and from rest your entire life. You'd never worry. You'd never stress. You'd never be anxious. Isn't that the promise? So why are these promises that are still not yet recognized and possessed? Because we go, yep, but, and then life continues because life is screaming, isn't it? I get it. You'll leave here and life will scream. You'll get home, oh, this, 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 and you've got to fight the good fight for the life of righteousness, see? It's not fight the devil, it's fight for the life of righteousness because there's a crown of righteousness that awaits all those that live a life of righteousness, which is right standing in God. You've discovered you've gone from this incorporated life to an in Christ life, and now you've done the will of God. Well done, faithful servant who did the will of my Father, not your will wrapped up in my name. Lord, Lord, you of lawlessness. You see, just because we can do stuff doesn't mean we do. Turn the stone to bread. Could he have done it? Just because he could have done it, did he do it? Just because you can do things in the power of the anointing of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you do them. And if you do them, you may hear Lord, Lord. Why? Because you're incorporating Christ into your life. And so what you do is you take his his gifts and you build your ministry. That ain't good. You take his gifts, you build your life. That's not good. He'll even let you do it. Why? Because of what he's looking for. It's not how we would do it. It's how he's done it. To find what he's truly looking for. You too knew the song. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. God's like, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. A faithful, obedient bride who will do everything my way, who will know me know my purposes, know my will, and then surrender her entire life for that. And that's where the life is promised. Last question and we'll call it a night. Um, I think you'll see where I'm going with this, Greg. Just jump in when you want to. Um, In some respects, my question may parallel some of what Cathy was questioning on. Um, So a couple of things in mind. Uh, thinking about those from non-spirit-filled churches, and I'll speak a little bit more to that with a friend shortly, Um, but also that space between justification and sanctification. So thinking about that latter half of James 2, um, 
faith without works is dead. So in broad terms, this is a, this is a passage that I find not challenging but difficult. So a lot of passages I'll find challenging because this is something that I have to work through to be transformed. This is one that I find difficult, more in the respect that I can see it, I can understand it, but I can see that it's not always practiced by others. So in terms of those that come from a non-spiritual church background, so they may be doing those right things, but they're not doing it from a right place. Um, are they justified? Uh, so thinking about one friend and how meaningful is that? So one friend that came out of a Reformed church tradition, um, or you can talk about others we know more locally from a more cessationist perspective. Um, they're not necessarily wrong. Uh, you can see this with the Jews not seeing Jesus. Where are they dropping the ball? I think you can see where I'm going with this. I think the, the challenge in all this is, and and, and you know, some there are some questions that you, that are they're not unanswerable, but at the end of the day, they're they're up to him. Okay, so always saved, once saved, all these sort of type of questions come up that the church has asked for years and years and years. My personal opinion is that um, behaviour does not determine the justified state. Okay? But God sees the heart of the person that then prays or asks Christ to be their Lord and Saviour. I can't unless he gives me discernment. So you can have two people. Let's just say one prays the prayer, but actually it's not a real prayer of faith and there's no connection. It's just some caught up in the emotional hype of something and goes, oh, yeah, I pray. And God's like, no, that wasn't a salvation prayer. That wasn't a, your heart. That wasn't, there was no connection. But we don't see that. Another person prays that type of prayer, and it's from their heart, and there's a connection, and the word pierces the heart, and they get born again. You know, it says, believe in your heart, confess in your mouth, and you will be saved. So we look at that, and we think, oh, if someone just does that, and we say, yeah, we did that, then they must be saved. Well, maybe not. Okay, because was there a power that came into them that saved them from their current state? Was there a reality of being born again? Was there an actual something happen? Well, ultimately, you'll see it if there was, but I'm not going to judge that unless I, I'm asked to discern that. Okay? So then it's like, oh, we go on behavior. You know? So someone can tick all the right boxes and not necessarily even be justified. You can get someone that's justified that actually is living in a spirit-filled life and they are full-on. And that's what makes it tricky because two people are doing the same thing and they look exactly like the same. It's like when you hear that some people might be hearing tonight and thinking they're hearing. It, it's this dynamic of the spirit thing, you know. Um, you know, show me, your fa- show me your faith, I'll show you my deeds. Ultimately, that's a position of one. So the works that need to come from faith are the works that the Father speaks to us about, not any works. Okay, So people race off and do works, but the works don't come from faith. Faith is what? Hearing the voice, seeing. So you know that the works you're doing are the works that have been predestined beforehand, Ephesians 2.10, that actually you walk in the works that he has, eternal works. The first one is love. I believe the first, well, actually the first work Jesus is to believe in John. Do you believe 
and who I really am, and do you believe I'm the source of your life? If you do, why you continue to work for food that perishes? That's exactly the context. See, he's just fed the 5,000. He says, why you come to me, you want more miracles if you're going to believe. I just did a miracle. I'm bringing you to me, not for the miracle. I'm using the miracle to bring you to me, the source of life. Do you believe I am the source of life? If you do, you will stop working for food that perishes and you will take the eternal food that I offer because it is me. If you don't, then you don't believe. These are the challenges and the tensions, you know, because it's like we just like to think everyone gets saved and believe and justified, but ultimately God knows. Now, in time, we will see the fruit of that. So Jesus says, prove to be my disciple by much fruit being worked through you. So the proof of being a disciple, of abiding in the vine is fruit. You don't try to prove yourself. As you abide in the vine, fruit is produced, which proves you are a disciple. Hear the difference? Okay. It just is an outcome. But ultimately, it's, it's in the Father's hands. And you'll all know when we stand before him, maybe at what judgment seat you're at. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's like justified by his blood. There's an, a connection that you know that you know. I'd say to people, do you know that you know that you know? And that's a true justified state. Yep, I know. If there's doubt, I don't know if I'm saved or not. Okay. You'd want to know that you know that you know. I know I'm going to heaven. I know that I'm a son. I know because of the encounter I've had. I knew the day I got born again. I knew the day I got saved. It wasn't maybe if what. It wasn't like I'm sort of lost, sort of found, and I land. Like I said this morning in this midpoint. So I got saved. I got. I was lost. I got found. You'd want that level of conviction. You see, the smallest level of conviction that big is greater than that much head knowledge. If you have faith, conviction, the size of a mustard seed, you can move that thing, that obstacle. Okay? Do you have that conviction? This is why you can't come in under your parents' tail. Got to get your own relationship. So it's a, I don't know that I've answered that. Um, but works come from faith. So you have faith and works, but the works come from faith. Abraham's work that justified him by faith was God speaking to Abraham about killing his son. He went to go through with that. God said, stop. He said, your faith has justified you. Your work, which has come from faith, you heard, you believed, fully convinced you were going to do it. That's what's made you right in the context of what we call the old scriptures. Now it's about our faith. Belief in Christ, fully convinced of Jesus, not a verbal mental agreement. Oh, yeah, I believe that Jesus is, you know, I believe the earth's round, I believe whatever. Everyone believes stuff. Are you fully convinced of what you believe? And it starts with, are you fully convinced I am who I say I am in John? That is the first work, which once again, we need him to believe. So he brings you to that place. He 
through his word, he pierces your heart. There's now a belief. I believe. Totally. Yeah, but I think you, you, we need to know we're saved. So I don't think that's in question. So there's, you might not know who you are, but you know you're saved. You might not know the plans of God, but you know you're saved. So if it's, it's like if I, can, if I can shake your foundation, it's probably not Christ because he's unshakable. So if you get unearthed and unshaken by something that's preached – You've probably just verbally agreed. So your foundation is in verbal agreement, but not necessarily in a living reality because I cannot shake the Christ. He is the rock of Gibraltar. He is the creator. How can I shake your foundation? Only if your foundation actually is only in words, not the word. So I believe there's an absolute conviction that we're to carry and then God wants to renew our mind to the fullness of the mysteries of the kingdom because it's that conviction that catapults you forward. And it only has to be the size of a mustard seed of the true revelation. And because we can't see, flesh and blood cannot give us this. And because we've actually appealed to people psychologically because we want to get them saved, we've created this midpoint. So what we've done is we've psychologically appealed to the mind. Can you hear what I'm saying? So we've tried to get clever because we want people from lost to found, and we've watered down this. This is not something you can get in your head. This is something that goes past into your spirit. So the gospel must be preached, which causes offense and life, not psychologically understood. Otherwise, why do we need him again? There's no power in this thing, okay? And so we create this midpoint. It's like half found, half sort of lost, and it's just, it's, it's a position that's nothing. It knows something, but knows nothing. And the gospel takes you from being lost because it's the supernatural power, isn't it, that rose Jesus from the grave? So the same power that took a dead guy and made him live is the same power that you'd want to receive to get saved to receive the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for in it it's the power of salvation. Not just a one-off event, but it's the power to take me from this place to this place. I was lost, I'm now found, and now I grow in salvation. Yeah? Through the same power that saved me. It's not I come in through power, then I try and figure it out again. If you can't save yourself, you can't change yourself. So the same power that saved you is the same power that transforms you and renews your mind. That's the beauty of it because there's no room for pride, is there? How did you get your insight? Through weakness. That's pathetic. No, it's the way of heaven. You can't stand there and go, look at me, I've got this all down. But you can speak of it that others would hear it. But you can't claim it as your own because you know you didn't get it on your own. 
<laughs> it's awesome. Like, how did I get knowledge and never read the book? It messes you up, man. You know God and you've never read a book because God's not a book. Do you know the, see if I can get this out right. Do you know the God of the book or the book about God? Do you know the word or the words? Plenty of people know words, but they can't live like they're called to because they study under man. I think I've said enough, eh? I love this. <laughs> I could spend forever doing that. What do you want to do? Are we done? <laughs> okay. All right, we're done. Nah. Done. All right, cool. Have a cool week. More questions, feel free.